um, I mean, at some point we have to <laughs> we have to remember that um, you know work will change, taste will change, like things are going to happen. But at the end of the day, like the hardest thing in my mind about being a photographer is saying goodbye to your subjects. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. As photographers, authenticity is what separates the good ones from the great ones. Authenticity creates memorable photos and gives the viewer the sense that they were there with the photographer. However, authenticity doesn't happen solely with the camera. The photographer has to care about the subject matter they are documenting. At his core, our guest seeks to understand people. His work is an honest portrayal of social issues. He uses his camera to navigate the world and believes that all people are worth knowing. This approach to creating work has landed him a creative residency with Adobe where he traveled the country making meaningful images. In one project, he traveled back to his home state of Florida where he documented the stories of formerly incarcerated people fighting for their right to vote. He has worked for the Golden State Warriors, the North Face, Skillshare, New York Times, and Walmart, just to name a few. Andre Laro, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, bro? I'm feeling good. It's a nice day. It's a weird, it's a real New York day. Growing up in Florida, like, these are, this is the days I, I imagine the Northeast is like. It's like overcast, people got puppies on, people got t-shirts on, no one knows how to dress properly. Yeah. And everyone's just kind of, kind of rushing inside, so... In some ways, I think young Andre would be super excited to see 29-year-old Andre sitting in, like, a, a New York apartment looking out and can't even see the sun. I don't know. And, it, and enjoying no it. And enjoying it. Yeah. Nice, nice. So Weather's you, nice. Temperature's good. Yeah. Good you day. mentioned um, sunny, you said sunny Florida? Yep. Uh, so Florida, Florida. You're, you're from Florida? Yes, sir. I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. We actually moved to New York when I was three for like three months and then grew up in South Florida. Um, it's a beautiful place. I, I miss it in some ways. I think that um, without realizing it, I don't know if you watch Jesus, Jesus and Nero, but there is a joke about Tristan Thompson cheating on um, whichever uh, Kardashian. Kardashian one of yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly truly don't know uh, which one is which, but the joke was <laughs> Jesus was like, Jamaican men don't cheat, <laughs> which is a lie because <laughs> that's. <laughs> I think the opposite, complete opposite of what. So uh, when Jesus, I mean, Miro was like, "Yeah, but he's Jamaican." He's like, "No, no, I grew up in Canada." And Jesus said, "I don't." Jesus like, "I don't care if you grew up on Mars. If both your parents are Jamaican, you're Jamaican." And I think that's how I describe Fort Lauderdale. I was like, "I don't know my dad, but growing up um, in an area that had so many Caribbean people, like going to Jamaican church and just even being around other Haitians and Cubans and stuff, it was just kind of a really nice way to start." life and like not started out thinking that only my culture and my experience was the most important hmm. that's dope i mean um having growing up with a sort of like a global perspective or 
you know, having as much interaction with different cultures as possible just helps to make us more well-rounded, right? So um, tell us what life was like growing up with Jamaican parents. <laughs> um, but thing to do, first and foremost, is my mom, like, <laughs> I'm sure y'all have this too, but if someone came to visit from Jamaica from a foreign, as we would call it, like, it was like you dropped everything. And, like, it would be a Saturday, like, yo, we drive to Port St. Lucie. You're like, why? Like, I just wanted to sit out. We just drive, like, all the way to Port St. Lucie and, like, sit in some random person's living room while someone else who was visiting would, like, give us breadfruit or some other thing. And then we'd, like, talk to this person until the sunset and go home. Mm-hmm. And so often you're just playing with, like, random kids you don't know or you're, like, well, I, would, I, was like I don't know what I, I was, like, a big rummager as a child. Because in the beginning of it, I didn't have a Game Boy or anything. And so I would just kind of like randomly go through people's stuff. And so I have memories of actually <laughs> playing with random, like random people's like cameras at time. Um, it's actually horrible. I would hate if a child was just, I don't even hide, but I don't want to like kid running up on my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a lot of that. But I think also, I joke about it a lot, like the yard band stuff now. But uh, as a kid, I just had a lot of chores. And I still kind of appreciate that. Like I love, I find pulling weeds and like, doing yard work to be really relaxing. I think right now, I'm sure you can say, you can admit this for yourself too. There's like, we just have a really complex diet of things we have to do in daily life where mm-hmm. it's not clear who a loser or a winner is, or if something really worked out for like you know, days, months, years of the future. And so there's something very calming about this, like sitting down, pulling weeds, placing stones, you know, when I, every time I go home now, still, my mom's like, all right, I need you to cook the, pair these, uh, these trees down for me. And I'm like, I'm here for two days. She's like, I don't care. Um, so it's, it's like a lot of yard work. Um, there's a lot of church, but like in that way, there was a lot of sweetness to it. You know, still to this day, if I, when I called my grandma, I talked to her on Saturday, she was like, did you go to church yet today? And she thought it was Sunday. And I was like, no, man. Um, there's like a kind of a deep spirituality. Also, you know, we were subjugated by the British so there is, you know, some of that good old uh, colorism and uh, what's the right word? Uh, what's the right word? Um, respectability politics are very heavy. So there's a lot of things I may have maybe had to unlearn later. But for the most part, it was really fun. My mom is great. She's an English teacher. So as a little kid, like, you know, when she would have to go work at the Motorola factory or she was doing all this stuff, she would like, Meeting with somebody and she, like an aunt or an uncle or some Jamaican person, <laughs> she would ask me to like um, you know paint and draw stuff. And then when she picked me up, I, I we had like a story time and I told her about it. And she'd ask me like questions and I would just make stuff up all the time. And That's it was like cool. a really kind of lovely experience. My mom and I have a really close relationship because you know we just had to spend a lot of time together from rip essentially. And she it sounds like she also engaged you and engaged your mind in a way that made y'all closer like you could probably i'm sure you could probably remember certain stories that you created back then because you and her had a conversation about it my mom won't let go of this one thing i did like in first grade i made, wrote some like we wrote a children's book together for a project i had to do for school I mean, it wasn't it was, it was serious but like it was like a book it was called rabbits tug of war and it was about like these i think these two factions of rabbits that were they'd solve an issue by playing tug of war, but this year, like, they decided that they wanted to, like, lay down the rope for peace. I don't really remember it, 100%. But, like, to this day, she still has it. She's like, this is illustrated. I'm like, let it die! (laughs) That was, like, 20 years ago. Wait, did you write that? 
We wrote it to, I mean, I don't want to say, I mean, I was like six, so I don't want to say I wrote it, but like yeah, we talked about it. I wrote a little bit, she wrote more, but something like that, yeah. I mean, that's actually dope, man. Like, can you, uh, can you turn that into like a photo project? I think it'd be weird, but it could be cool. I mean, it, it's, it you know, cool. she's, she's like fully, I promise you, ever, when I go home, She's tied. I don't play the piano anymore. She just got a baby grand for free from this random Jamaican person. So every time I come home, she like stares at me like, "Yeah, you gonna play piano again?" Or I just wasted a lot of money when you were a kid. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> and then like, she's tied. I don't play saxophone anymore. I played a lot of instruments as a kid for like long. I played piano for like four or five years. I played saxophone for like four or five years. Um, and then she's also she's like, "Yo, yeah, are you gonna publish this book?" And I'm like, "What? Well, you think I just have free time?" I mean, all right, maybe. All right, so I was going to ask, you know, how did your parents view the arts, you know, um, especially being a child of Caribbean parents that were um, that emigrated here, you know, um, what is, what was, like, what did your mom and your, your father, how did they feel about the arts as, like, a profession? It sounds like your mom was pretty cool about it, but, you know, I just want to hear from your mouth. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, um... I mean, this is worth touching on. So I never met my dad, never met my dad before. So I don't know how he feels. Um, to be honest, I'm, I was told my, my girl this other day, I was thinking about, imagine being LeBron James' dad. Hmm. <laughs> this man has to be so hurt in his spirit. No, <laughs> sorry, I laughed this man's face because I don't feel bad for him. Um, <laughs> as someone who also has a, had a, a, a father abandoned them. I'm like, well, I hope you know that you let you abandon this child and it completely thrived without your existence. Um, no, but like, you know, I had accepted that at one point, but he was uh, not a very helpful human. It's the most polite way I can put that. And I think for him, it, it was, he just was a very small, he just thought really linearly. Mm-hmm. And so if, if he was still in my life, I don't think he would understand or be very thrilled about what I was doing. I think one of the things that's been really difficult because I don't think anybody in my family fully understands what I do, really. Um, I think at an immigrant, for immigrants, there's like the the main thing is obviously making enough money to survive, and then also like the prestige of not only did I did we come here, but you know my 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 offspring, my child, um, was placed in this new environment and thrived. So like obviously early you want you want your child to be a lawyer or a doctor or like if they're not gonna have any money they'll be a pastor or something and so you know i think my mom was more okay with certain things like she loved when i I did theater in high school and she just loved it and was like supportive of me doing that um but i think that like photography really crept up through this whole time and it was never like i was never like i'm gonna be a photographer so i never had to have that conversation with her and then at the time when it was started to actually work, it was just like she couldn't really say anything to me about it. And I'm not saying she's like rude or difficult about it. I just think that like mom's a teacher. And so I think especially with our, our former generations, it can be hard to explain to somebody, oh, like sometimes I make money from Instagram, but sometimes I take photos of people. And sometimes people fly me to places to take photos of things. It's just a strange concept yeah. because photography specifically is viewed as a low art by you know, folks that maybe paint or draw are just like, you know, you're tethered to reality and thus, how can you be special? I don't subscribe to that, but also there is a concept of like, I have a camera on my phone. Like what? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that my mom is excited in that. So I try really hard when I do something that she can really grasp to show it to her. So whenever I get published in the Times, 
I'll bring home a copy. Or like a couple years ago, I did this big project for the Golden State Warriors, and they showed some of my photos and these videos that I worked on at the game. And yeah, I was I trying really hard for her to come. But it was also like a huge. It just it was too much because she was gonna have to leave work. It was like a Friday night game, and she was in Fort Lauderdale, so she's gonna have to like leave work early and like take a. It was just it would've been too much, so she didn't do it. Or um, working for on Canal Show, my mom. When we did an episode in Miami, I had her come down and she ate dinner with Canal and me, and it was really cool for her. And then now, you know, sometimes we talk to him. She just sent some books for his kids, and like you know, he has sent some stuff for her, and like. Um, what was I going to say? And, like, uh, it's just, it's nicer for her to say, oh, I understand what you're doing now. Or, like, the commercial for the for the season this season is largely my photos. So she can say, oh, okay, this is how this is applied in space. Um, I think that's been more helpful. But I think my mom, more than anything, wants me to be, like, she's a strong woman. And so, like, when she wants to ask me what's going on, if I can't give her a serious answer, then she knows that I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And so I think from an early age, I understood, like, when it's time to argue with her, I need to not argue, but I need to explain exactly what I'm thinking forcefully, or excuse me, respectfully, but with uh, being deliberate. And you, need I think to be that, informed. you need to be informed. You can't just be guessing yeah. or, or, you know, yeah. freestyling. And I think in doing, in doing that, she is comfortable with what I'm doing. Um, I mean, my uncle is a musician. Um, I think there have been some people in our family that are um, artistic, and so I think I'm always excited about certain things, but I think we still have yet to have this, like, culmination moment. Like, it, I think it'd be cool, next time I get to do a gallery show, I think it'd be cool for her to come and kind of see it. Um, we haven't added that opportunity yet. Um, so she hasn't seen your yeah, work? Yeah, I think... She hasn't seen your work displayed, like, hung up on the wall or anything? Uh... She got a print of mine when I did this that um that thing about fatherhood last year, mm -hmm. but generally like not really. Um, it's just tough. I mean, she lives in a house by herself. She got to take care of it. Plus, she works as a teacher, so you know she's getting up at six and going to bed at midnight working. Um, and so my mom kind of takes that time, the rest of that time, really seriously, and she spends a lot of time taking care of older family members and stuff. So I think yeah. at the moment, it's just not, she's just done the bandwidth for it. So it's kind of like a, you tell me and I'll believe you. So the first time she goes to a show, it's going to be a special one. Like, yeah, I think so. I think, I think it would have been cool. If I had to pick, it would have been cool if she came to DC and saw the work um, that I did with, uh, with the North Face for Alaska. I think that show was, not only was it packed, but it was really important for her to see like what it meant in terms of policy, because we got to show it to senators, but also for the Gwich'in people to say, you capture my essence properly. So I think that I think that's the most helpful thing for her to see and understand. Wow, uh, that's dope. I mean, one day, man, I think our, our parents, especially you came, you're coming from a, a, a single parent household. Are you, you have any siblings? Nope, just me. Yeah, man, same here. Um, single parent household, raised by my mom, just me, only child. Um, I, you know, never knew my father either. So I, I always wonder, like, if my father was in my life, would I be where I'm at now? I, I use a lot of anger and as fire and fuel, you know, to, like, motivate me by, because I didn't know my father, right? So I was like, well, you know, fuck that. I'm not going to end up, like, you know, I'm not going to end up in a bad place because he wasn't around. I'm going to figure out a way out of it, you know? And that gave me a lot more motivation. But, um, yeah, man, um, 
It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy similarity. No, I'm with you. I mean, to touch a note on that, um, two things. I don't know. Are you a big uh, Are you a big Batman fan? <laughs> uh, I like the Dark Knight series. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. There's a line Justin Gordon-Levitt has in the last film that I think about a lot. It really, it like really punctuates I think how I feel, and I think you you can really appreciate this. He says, "Not a lot of people know what it feels like, do they?" to be angry in your bones. He was like, you know, at first they understand, but over time they want the angry little kid to grow up and to move on, which is something he doesn't know how to do. Um, and there's just like the way he delivers that line, like the angry in your bones, it like always kind of chills me a little because I know what that feels like. Right. And it's super interesting. I remember there was, <laughs> uh, as, we, as we all figure out our, our black identities in college, um, I remember there was yeah, just this, know, like, this one dude who's trusted me about, you know, thinking I was black and I think that's what's going on. That's my, my brain. I was like, bro, I was on, I, I got to just oh, I, don't, I don't know if I can say that. Well, I got to, like, I was not me. I will slap the mess on my way for a lawyer voice. And like, it's just such a problem. And you understand, like, you understand, you understand, that's why like, you understand, that's why <laughs> and like and everybody, it's kind or and anything they are, they can like, oh, no, 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 I just you know, see the fact that does a party want to be uh, so recognizable at some point? I had that LeBron James on even for a second. Let me find it. I want to say it actually. That my dad, that I don't know, or anyone else related or whatever sees him, but who's this person? That person has the same last name as me. Oh, they're Jamaican? Ooh, this is strange. Mm -hmm. Is that is, is that something that's motivating me that I haven't thought about before? Is that like a tacit thing? Um, and it was a scary thought because I was like, wow, I don't, I don't think I. Um, I think I think what it is is you want you want to prove to yourself that you didn't need this person, yep. and and when yep. and when they see you achieve like these huge goals, right? That in their mind they're like, "Damn, I fucked up." Because one, um, my child is out there doing great things without me, and two, it's like, but imagine how much greater they could have been if I was there to support them, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, that's been my motivation for the whole thing, you know? So. And I'm sure that's changed. That perspective has shifted for you as a, as a father now, too. I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm, always, I'm always present with my son, you know, and I support whatever, he, whatever it is he's doing. Um, but I'll, How old is he? He's six going on 17. Hey. <laughs> his boy man <laughs> he's a he's a, he's a, he's a character his name is Talib mm. you know so yeah i mean i'm 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 passing down to him the things that you know it's funny i always used to say i'm i'm passing to him i want to i want to give him the life that i didn't have but then i i had to stop one day and realize like that's not accurate because he may not need the same things that i needed as a child so I can't just blindly give him the things that I didn't have. I got to give him the things that he needs. You know, I, it has to be specific to him. Otherwise, I'm not paying attention to him. You know what I mean? So um, 
that was a big lesson in, in fatherhood for me. So, yeah, um, wow. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah, so I know we're going to move on, but the, the, the line was, I like by Earl, is I like to send a shout to the fathers, the fathers that didn't raise us, to everyone who hated and now is unable to say much. Um, to critics doing dirty with comments, uh, nigga paid for an apartment yesterday on some songs that I haven't yet made up. Um, which I kind of, kind of appreciate now, because if you think about what we get to do, although it, to some fool it's considered low art, we still are making things out of chaos. It's kind of an amazing concept to be so observant that you can capture and pull something out, right? Yeah. You know, one day I was sitting and think I was going on an assignment, and you know I I always have a little bit of nerves before every assignment, right? Um, yeah. Because we don't know what you're gonna get. <laughs> like you you have no idea what you're gonna get. You you can you can plan for it in your mind, but the images haven't been made and you have to um, go into a situation, meet somebody for the first time, make them comfortable. You have to get comfortable. You have to know your gear. You have to uh, know what kind of light is there, kind of prepare for that and make sure you have some little tool or, or you know, something in your arsenal, your, your photo arsenal to be prepared for, for every type of situation. And then you got to get good images. And so I'm always nervous, but then at the end, you know, um, I always feel good that I was able to make something out of nothing. I was able to go into this situation an hour and a half, two hours later, come back with a bunch of like beautiful images. And that's what people pay us for is, is trusting us that we're going to go out into the world, meet these people and come back with an accurate depiction of who they are at that moment and help. you, You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a gift. That's a gift. It's not just about the camera. It's about the connection that you have with the person you're photographing. Absolutely. So, yo, where, where'd you go to school? I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. Oh, Gators. Yep. Nice. And what'd you, what'd you study there? I was a journalism and economics major. Ah, but not photojournalism. No, um... I ended up later taking some photojournalism classes, but um, I was a journalism major. I took some, like, I kind of tried to take as many classes as I could. Like, I took, like, a design, like, kind of journalism design. I took this class that, um, it was called Applied Journalism, but that's where I did that swimming kind of piece on. So it was just about, like, different ways we could do stuff. And I think, I don't know, I just pretty quickly, I didn't want to, um, I just knew that I didn't want to work in a newspaper, and so my entire opinion of it was just started to shift. I remember being, um, I was interning at the Gainesville Sun, a local paper. I just graduated, and I was working. I was shadowing this photographer that day, Matt Scammy, who's a really talented photographer. There's, and I'm sure you know this. There's so many local photographers that like me deserve so much shine. Yeah. The people, these people are trapped in random cities in Louisiana and Kansas and all sorts of stuff, and they're going off. And I remember I thought he was the best photographer there, super nice guy. We just finished shooting this, um, excuse me, capturing. I'm trying to stop saying shooting. Yeah, for sure. Because working with, uh, I've been working with 100 cameras. And since we talked to students about photography, especially young black kids, they want us to stop using that word. Especially, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but one of the students um, got killed last year. And my God, that shook me because it was just, we just met them. And, anyway, um, 
So one, you know, one, one, wait, wait, one of the students in the program. One of the students in the program from the 100 cameras uh, program that I got to work on. A year later, she died. She was killed. She was shot. Nah, I think so. Yeah, I mean in Chicago. I, damn, man, um, that's sad. That's really sad. I mean, especially seeing the young people die tragically like that. And to your point, I'm, I've I've been very conscious of shooting, use, using the word shooting, especially since most of the people I talk to are other black photographers. So when we're talking about doing a project in our communities, it's just really triggering for me to say, yo, I went out and I, I shot this dude on the corner, right? Like, yo... That right there is a very visual um, phrase, you know. It could be, 100%, yeah. It is. It, it just is. I don't want to say it. It just sounds bad. So I, I, I'm consciously choosing to say I'm, I photographed this person, or I don't say subjects. I say the person being photographed, right? Or yep. um, capture, like. Um, you know, I forget what I use for capture, but um, and that one is a is is a difficult one to kind of um, reframe. But I'm practicing it more and more, and just using terms that are less aggressive and and violent. Yep. You know, so um, not fully agree with you. Um, I'm sorry, but what were you saying? You were saying you were interning. No, you're good. I was talking about. I was working with. I was working. I was interning. I was shadowing Matt that day. We just finished um, photographing this. Um, crew competition on the water and this big lake that they might forget right now. And I remember we're coming back and I was asking him some questions about what he captured and he looked at me in the car and he was like, don't do this job, man. Mm. I'll never forget it. Wow. <laughs> he was like, you, you, can do, you, don't, you don't want this job. You can do better than this. And I remembered because that summer when I was interning there, they had gotten bought by a new media company and they got paid decreases and I was like, yikes! Yeah. <laughs> what? And so I, I just think that like uh, by the time I was like a junior, I was like I just want to learn as many creative things as I can, but I don't really know what's going to happen here. And I think upon graduation, my first couple thoughts were like maybe I can get like a job as like an ad person's assistant, and maybe like she can shift my way into that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, journalism was just. It was a thing that happened because, you know, I decided to go to University of Florida a little, not late, but like on the later end. I was really wanted to go to University of Chicago. I got in and I visited. I hated the visit. Um, and so later we were just looking at where else I got in and we went to this like UF information session at this lovely older black man, Charles Harris, who was in charge of the scholarships for the journalism um, department. And he was like, yo, I have a couple... He didn't say yo. He was like, he's very, he's like a very nice, he's like 85. He's great. Um, but he was like, you know, I have a couple communication scholarships left. So if you apply and you stay in journalism, I can pay you this with money um, for two semesters. And if you renew it, and it was great. It was a really helpful scholarship for me the whole time I was at, at school. Um, and that was kind of the, the real reason I ended up actually choosing journalism. Once <laughs> like, I didn't know what I wanted to take. And I was like, well, at least I was like, I got to do this and there's money. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's still helpful to make sure you can read and write and communicate with your, like communicate clearly. So, no, no complaints. You know, I didn't. I had no idea where my path was going to go, where my path was going to take me. And mm. um, I thought that I wanted to do journalism, and but but really, what I was doing was documentary. And but so, mm. you know, I got into the Eddie Adams workshop. 
in 2016 based on a documentary pro some documentary projects that I had like self-assigned and then you know I started meeting editors and then my photography world that seemed so inaccessible at one point started to really shrink I started meeting editors from all over the place and people who I thought were like I can never get in contact with them like or, or email text phone call away and it was really mind-blowing right so I started chasing the photo, the uh, journalism assignments, and thinking that that's what I wanted, or thinking that was the next step for me. And I never really felt comfortable in that space because while I can go out and photograph a, an assignment for that day, I, I'd much rather spend a longer time with the people that I'm photographing, right, with the subject. Um, but what I did learn in photojournalism was how to keep the photo honest, you know, how to not disturb the moments that are happening. Learn how learn patience to, to let moments unfold. And I apply that to my documentary stuff. I apply that to my lifestyle photography. I apply that to my commercial work. And that photojournalism style and, and approach has helped with my commercial work so much. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I don't mean, look, I'm going to be very careful here, but some of the art school people that we know are very used to everything being absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. And that is just not, that is not how this is going to go. Um, and so often, especially on these sets, you're working and it's just chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of think that understanding the chaos is like a really lovely, like you can just get a really quick lesson if you're doing any sort of journalism really early that like not only do you not matter, but the moment's going to unfold. So if you're not prepared for it, it's just going to kind of pass you. Yeah. I think in some ways it has robbed us of like some earning power and stuff, but I think the mentality is there. Like I, the thing I love about a lot of the photographers I know, um, you included, is there's this just a spirit of excitement with what you make and it's not like yo look at this it's not like yo i'm amazing because i made this thing it's like yo i got to be here and be a part of this moment yeah it's just a different mindset and it's a very healthy one i think because that responsibility is like it's just you can't even put words to it how important it is yeah and we can't take it for granted you know i i, I love so okay i'm a big believer in in writing out you know my um my goals and uh, yeah. like actualizing them. And a few years ago, you know, one thing that I wrote was that I'm going to travel the world through my photography. And I'm able to share it now because it's happening, right? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not, I don't share any goals that have not materialized yet because, you know, people out there could put all types of mojo on it um, and throw it off course. But, um, you know, I, I, I I, I love the fact that, you know, last year I was able to photograph the Forgotten Cowboys story, which was about the history of black cowboys or, you know, um, my camera's taking me like all over the world. And to, to take that for granted is like, you're just like spitting in the, the universe's face, you know. Um, it's an honor to be in these locations, meeting these people and them allowing us to tell their story you know like absolutely yeah 
and, and it's we, wild because yeah yeah 100 percent. what are you gonna say you said it's wild it's wild because like man there's so many times i'm sitting and i'm just saying like how did i even get in this room bro like i'm on, honestly like there's some things i cannot reference but there's things in the last like two years even going to alaska i'm like hold on what's going on here you want me to do what okay i mean all right how did <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And so it's just, it's all, all of a sudden this super different scenario when someone's like, I want you to go and capture the essence of this thing so we can translate yeah. it to other people. Yeah. Which is honestly such a big honor. And it, I would love to be able to do it forever. Um, I mean, at some point, we have to <laughs> we have to remember that, um, you know, work will change, taste will change, like things are going to happen. But at the end of the day, like the hardest thing in my mind about being a photographer is saying goodbye to your subjects. Mm. Right, it's so awkward after you just shared this really beautiful, yeah. like intimate thing with somebody. So then be like, "All right, well, uh, thanks, peace, peace. Out. It's Like what? <laughs> it's honestly kind of crazy. I know, I know, um, I know. Hopefully, though, it was a good, it was a good collaboration, right? Where absolutely, where you know, even though you spent a whole lot of time on, on, um, with a bunch of people for an extended period of time, um. Saying goodbye, yeah, it could be challenging, and it can also leave you with a feeling of like emptiness, you know, um, because you 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 had your routine, you knew like every Tuesday such and such person would be at this place, so let me go, uh, let me have my Tuesdays blocked out so I can go to this place and yep. photograph this person in their element, right? You start to get into a routine working with these people, and when when it's over, there is a gap. For me, there's a there's a missing piece. It's like wow, like um, all right, well, what am I gonna do with my Tuesdays now, right? Um, yeah. It's also, I mean, it's just a it's a it's a it's a it's a great feeling to just get that access as well. No, it is just not just honestly the honor of being there is something that I really appreciate. Of really like when someone lets you be there with them in a moment. And like some of these things are vulnerable. Like you, people really are like, oh yeah, yeah, it's cool if you're here with me. Um, as I like, like I just did that thing with the Times with Ian Manuel, who had been um, incarcerated for 18 years when he was 14 years old. And not everything is not everything is that positive, you know, mm -hmm. or that fun or that like easy breezy. A lot of times, you're capturing something that's intense and you're trying to figure out a way to like show the myriad like the real range and like depth of emotions in a person and it's not like a simple thing to do and some of this stuff is sad and it's painful and you leave it and you feel kind of weird about you feel strange you're like i hope that this has been reflective of your experience um but you also feel like you're leaving a little part of you when you leave i remember um i guess we're just gonna go on with the references from <laughs> From uh, Dark Knight to Earl to uh, there's a on Fall Prophets by J Cole. He said he, that's I don't know if I would say that's my favorite J Cole song, but I think that song is a really complete J Cole song because it allows him to really shine in his like I don't want to say preachy comedy in a bad way. Like I think that like he is like here's my world and I'm gonna speak to it. Um, and uh, in False Prophets he says. I'm feeding to write the songs that raise the hair on my arms. Mm -hmm. And I think about that all the time. Yeah. All the time. That in itself 
Um, the line before that's like, like I've been spending too much time worrying about people that who, who couldn't care if I'm on. Yeah. Um, and it just that that spirit in itself, I think, what encapsulates it. Like, if I have enough money to not be broke, hopefully own something at some point, and then continue to just make things that um, really capture a moment as a historian, it's really, really, really valuable. Like, I know a lot of folks feel a lot of ways about Jonathan Mannion, but there's a lot of power. There's a lot of power in the fact that in, in his work appearing as we mourn DMX. Or even, like, I don't know if you remember that black and white photo I took of that boy for Walmart a couple of years ago holding the dogs. That photo yeah. only played in my brain because of that photo of DMX that I've seen so many times. You know, and so like when I saw that photo, it's like the first thing I thought of was DMX, you know, like a young DMX. Yep. And, I, you know, I'm looking at the photo right now. Um, and, you yep. know, it's a two pits. And I uh, got the, it looks like you're in Florida. Looks like you're Yeah, I was in South Florida, yeah. You know, the palm trees in the background. It's a dope photo, man. He's just like, yeah. he's not, he's not playing to the camera. He's just, He's just there. You're in his space. Yeah. No, I mean, that kid was for real, bro. That kid was like 11, 12 years old, and he was about that life. Like, I, I mean that in the nicest way. I don't mean it to be funny or anything. Like, basically, I was working on a project with Walmart, and it's funny. My, my favorite comment from that project is actually, I think it was Andre. I said, all right, well, well, all right that Walmart, damn. <laughs> Yo, so I'm, wait. Sure, I'm sure if somebody, if somebody not black read that, they just like didn't understand it. But I just, I just wait. This photo, this photo was taken for Walmart. It was. They didn't use it. So uh, here's yeah, okay. what happened. All right. So I had this period of my life at the end of 2019. I do this sometimes. In fall, it's always pretty rough. Where I just took, I did a bunch of jobs back to back to back to back, and I was like dead. So essentially, I had flown. I did a job with uh, Marriott in San Diego that I flew a red eye, got back, spoke at Photo Plus, and then flew that night out to Oklahoma to do that farm stuff that you've seen. Then I came right back to New York, and I think I had to shoot something the next day. And the day after, I flew to Adobe Max, where I spoke like three out of the four days, and then I had to, like, to do the other random stuff. And then from Adobe Max, while when I was taking off to LA, my agent got this request for me to work on this job with Walmart. And like I feel a little funny about Walmart sometimes because mm-hmm. I remember I remember of being a kid and my aunt working at Walmart. Even as a child, I remember really distinctly me asking her, like, Oh Aunt Rose, you get a discount, she's gonna get ten percent. And I was like, No, it's eight, I'm like, ten percent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and like, you know, look, they have to figure out what their corporate model is. I personally do not think it's the best. I just read an article, um, or I have it still open on my phone, about how they're some of the biggest proponents against the minimum wage. Look, yeah. or the minimum wage going up to $15. Look, I don't like that, but when I read the brief, I was like, okay. And it was this project called, like, it was uh, called like American Towns. And so they wanted three different photographers to go to three places each and capture them. And so they really love the idea of me going to the American South. And you know America well enough to Miami is not the American South, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about it later. And so they had me go, I flew fr- directly from um, LA to Nashville, then to Miami and then to Birmingham. So he kind of worked out of the South. And essentially what was going on was they, it was kind of a weird project, but it was really cool. I don't know if I want to do it again, but like, I could do it better if I did it again, but it was like a very tiring thing. I think if I walked up to it, essentially what they did was I had to, I had one day in each city to capture 
the essence of the city. Mm. And so they, they gave me a location manager and like a, a PA, and they picked me up from the airport. I'd go to sleep, get up, and these were all back to back to back. So by the time I was in Birmingham, I was like, yo, my eyes are falling out. Um, and so it was like I flew to LA, went to sleep, woke up, sunrise Nashville, the sunset was just capturing stuff. And I kind of made a list of places I wanted to go. And me knowing I really wanted to make sure I'm not black people in the American South, I wrote a lot of stuff that was like, you know, I want you to take me to, I wanted to go to at least one barbershop every city I went to. Mm-hmm. Like, is there like, and, you know, I just wrote like things I wanted to see. And so when we were in Miami, um, and then the photo next to it of the kid getting his haircut in Birmingham, that was similar, where I just wanted to make sure we cut in like moments where I knew I was going to see some black people because that was really important to me. And um, we're wrapping this day. And I got, I mean, we started each day in a Walmart. So it was like some of the workers, some of the employees, and we pay people to like um, to have their likeness. And then if Walmart used the thing in the commercial, I had to pay them more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was ended up being like a really intense day because literally like we got up, I got up at like five. The sun rose at like 5.45 and then like literally all day we're just like going to random spots, chasing stuff, talking to people, asking to take their photo, um, and then like kind of capturing their essence for a little bit and moving on. And I knew that they weren't going to take this photo because it was just a, a lot, but I, I personally just found it to be a really powerful moment. Um, and the kid's dad after was like, yo, it looks like the DMX photo. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a cool thing. Um, and it was funny because I asked I, I think one photo I asked his dad, his dad was like, yeah, I don't care at all. And I, the kid didn't even say anything. He was just, he was just cool. So it was, it was a really fascinating image because I was laying on that hot pavement and I did not care. I was like, this photo, I think is just a beautiful. And actually really like, I think I can't see right now, but I'm pretty sure he has a little like scar, a small one on his left or right hip. And I thought that was just a tiny detail that made the photo really, really nice. I'm like, it just made me think a lot about what it was like growing up in Florida. Like you just, the day's over. He he clearly just left his like school um, uniform pants on and just went to walk the dogs and just like be. And I just I appreciate that energy a lot. This is a dope photo, man. Uh, for all y'all out there, man, y'all can go to Andre's site and check it out. It's um it's a pretty dope photo, and you definitely get those DMX vibes from it. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. Um, I like how you talked about like that. It sounds like you bounced all over the country within like a week or like 10 days or something like that. You know, um... I want you. Can you talk about that lifestyle a little bit? I, I know for a lot of people, especially uh, young people trying to get into the game, you know that seems like that's that like that's it. Like that's the goal, right? To be like hop like uh, what's the word? Jet setting, right? Hopping on and off planes in different cities, different time zones, and it sounds great, right? At face value, but can you talk about what it really means to be able to 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 be a working traveling photographer like you got you got to be prepared with your gear in different cities and you know you got to be Absolutely. prepared for different types of assignments like you you know you're changing mm-hmm. speeds all, all the time like uh, can you talk a little bit about that experience i'm going to start with something that uh i don't know if you know the photographer Pei Ketron. she's an asian american woman that lives in the bay she's a really lovely woman and she said something to me a couple of years ago the minute you said it the first time i had she said 
you know, this this is all really fun. And uh, for the folks who are listening, the best, if you probably know Paige, she was in an Amex commercial on TV like a couple of years ago. I remember it because I remember thinking before I met her, I thought her on Instagram and I was watching the TV and I was like, is that that lady I thought on Instagram? And I, okay, cool. Anyway, so we were having lunch and she works at Adobe now. And she was talking to me, and this was 2018 or 19, and she was like, you know, some of this stuff is so so fun and amazing, but once people, people that you live near, where you actually live, stop expecting you to be places, people forget that where you are and, or to invite you, and you quickly become an afterthought. And when she said it, it like really stood out to me, because I've had some moments, especially during the residency with Adobe, and I think subsequent years where like, I've had some tips with people where they're tight. They're like, yo, like, you didn't come through. Where are you at? And I'm like, yo, like, I'm not here. Or I just got back from, like, a two-week thing or, like, a five-day thing or even a three-day thing that was really stressful and I need some time to myself. And so it, it does kind of increase the amount of internal monologues that you have. Like, if anyone watches Scrubs, that Zach Braff thing, where you end up spending a lot more time with yourself than you think. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool to come back to certain cities and, like, because it's one thing to visit a city once or twice, but if you go there frequently, like I end up going to Atlanta, um, obviously Fort Lauderdale, um, and the Bay Area quite a bit. Um, and those are always really interesting because I find that I like kind of understand the cities a little bit more now, and I really appreciate that. Um, but I, I will first warn that you need to make sure that your communication skills are really strong with anyone that cares about you, because once those expectations are broken, it can be really difficult. And if all your friends are jet setting, then it can be in one way you share experiences, but another way it can be just tremendously isolating. So just like protect those relationships and find ways if you're not physically present to be emotionally present. So like with my boys, I was always playing uh, fantasy basketball mm-hmm. because I was like, you know what? Like um, I'm, <laughs> I haven't been to no games with y'all, but like this will be something fun for us to talk about every week. Yeah. Um, so that'll be the first thing. The second thing gear wise, like, I remember when I got the residency with Adobe, the thing I didn't think about was that I was I was really bad at backing up my images. And you know, for every anybody listening to this, like the next thing you need to purchase, I don't. It's not a lens, it's not a camera. It is a hard drive and a it's a solid state hard drive and a um, like a digital yeah. backup system. Backblaze or yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just got a NAS, but like mm-hmm. even like so. What I do is I have like a hard. I have a I have it backed up on the Adobe Cloud, then I have the NAS, and then I have them on physical hard drives also. And when I finish a shoot, actually, excuse me, when I finish a job, I never delete the images until the client has final, final approval off the memory card. So I have like a double amount of memory card for this very reason. Because like, I've actually never had a big problem with this, but I've had other friends who've lost whole jobs, and mm. I just don't need that trauma. No. So one of the things about the, about the traveling is you have to be not only super organized, but you have to make sure that you can back your things up because it's very easy to lose SD cards, CF cards, mm-hmm. batteries in hotel rooms, or you know if you're staying with your friend or whatever it is. The next thing is like when you travel, like understand when you can work and when you can, and what your rhythms are. So like I know we all joke about Jr. Smith when he's an NBA player and how he used to go out and party, but like yeah, it's it's really fun to see your friend from college you haven't seen in two years if you're visiting if you're like you know working in Milwaukee for those next couple of days, but like. If you want to get hired again for that job, you need to do whatever routines you're doing beforehand, yeah. like above anything else, because it's not worth being tired out of your mind trying to like try to hype yourself up to act normal. Um, because what very worst, you can just always see that person at the end of the trip or sightsee or whatever it is. 
those that those are the tips. Um, and then, like on a personal level, I think that it's been really amazing to just learn that. And this is going to sound bad, but I really mean it in kind of a good way. America's most of the same. Like most of the places you go in America look like other places in America. Everything kind of looks like everything else. Um, and there's a power in recognizing that. Um, there's a power in just recognizing that very often how black people are treated in one place is how black people are treated in another place. Mm-hmm. Very often, you know, when when those Asian American women were murdered in Atlanta, the reason why it was so a powerful shock throughout the country is Asian American folks from all over, like I've seen this movie play out over and over and over again. And I think once you gain that perspective of the whole of a larger part of the country, um, it can kind of help you fight against the exceptionalism that I think sometimes we use to sidestep truths we need to pay attention to. So I think that in one way, it's in many ways, like traveling is really, really helpful. Time zones, like fun fact for me, I never, I just don't sleep that well. And so I can be up late a lot. But when I go New York to the Bay Area, especially if it's like for a week or less, I sleep so great because by the time it's like midnight Bay Area time, I'm done. Like, and it's folks I've never usually like watched like that. But like, then I wake up and it's like 6 a.m. or something. Yeah. 7 a.m. And I'm like up and ready. Yeah, it's like such a different yeah. world for me. Yeah. Um, and so there's some really lovely things. There's like all these fun foods to try. Other thing I would tell younger me is like, you will always be able to eat that later. Do not want out on this food. It's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. You gotta learn how to pace yourself, man. Like, if, yeah, if you, you have a big shoot, if you, yeah. If the assignment is it's the big assignment and it's the next day, mm-hmm. you can't you know maybe don't go to the hotel bar, right? Like yeah. maybe just park it in in the room for the night and just uh, do your research and and plan everything out. One thing I'm learning is to really go through my notes and to um, co- coordinate and communicate with the other team members. Uh, the night before, even if it's um, verbally, like you, you, you huddle up before everybody goes in separate ways, huddle up and say, all right, cool. Yep. Here's yep. the game plan for tomorrow. Say verbally, send a text. And then in the morning, send a text as well. Like, hey, good morning. Good afternoon. We're meeting at such and such place at this time in the lobby. Um, cool. Just to cover your bases, right? Um, but also just to geek out for a little bit, talking about backing up. Um, our files, and I know you mentioned you just got a NAS drive. I, I just got one as well. Then with the NAS drive, uh, what you can do is set up a remote access on your computer. So if you're away traveling, right, if you're um, traveling for work and you might be doing like a multi-city assignment, you can back your photos up to the NAS drive anywhere in the world and this way, before you hop on a plane and go to another destination, your your photos from that that assignment are already backed up in the cloud somewhere, and you still have it backed up on your hard drive. You know what I mean? So that's just like another layer of protection for your storage. No, absolutely. Listen, I don't care how fire amazing those photos you took. If they disappear, it's not going to matter. <laughs> The number one thing you want to do, like bring a hard drive with you. That hotel Wi-Fi be garbage, so just don't even worry about that. But just make sure you have two copies of whatever you have with you yep. um, along the way. If you're working on a set with a new client for the first time, ask them to bring a hard drive. Yeah. Just to make sure you can you can keep a hard drive for you plus the stuff on your card, and they can have a hard drive for them. Nothing. It, I cannot. The quickest way to never work with somebody again is to have them pay a bunch of money to get something done and none of the stuff you made is there. 
Yep. Um, if you can get a digital tech for folks who listen to this and don't know what that is, that person's job on sets is to keep everything organized and keep everything backed up. Um, when I first, I'm sure you, you have this experience. When I first started working, um, I would assist a lot of photographers. I remember thinking like, why are these people on set? Like, why do we need like all these people? Everyone's job is important. And those digital techs, there are a lot of people who seem like they're sitting around all day, but they did a lot of their work the day before, the weeks before, the morning of, and then they're just there to maintain, yeah. right? And so, you know, if you can't, if they, your client or whoever, whomever can't do the digital tech thing, just make sure you do it for yourself. Or if you've got a home you can trust, you can toss that person at 50 bucks, $100, whatever you can afford, it is 100% worth it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you tell no lies. You tell no lies. Not a lie. And that's the only thing anybody hear is like, I wish somebody told me sooner. I remember, bro, but you know, in college, one of my boys, um, he used to photograph weddings to make money, and he's, uh, I don't know what happened, but he spilled a ton of liquid on his hard drive, and it broke in the middle of an edit, and so he could never give these people her wedding images, and I'll never forget. Ooh, the dread that you feel. Yeah, the secondhand stress I felt for this man. Yeah. Wow. And so back yourself up the best you can. Drives usually last a maximum of three years, and the cost it'll take to try to repair a broken drive is not worth it. A two hundred dollar drive might cost you two thousand dollars to get repaired or get the files off of. So I cannot stress this enough. Please, please, please take your story seriously. I didn't think that was going to be the crux of what we talked about, but make sure you hear what we say. <laughs> yeah, for real. You don't want to experience that, you know. Um, so I know you mentioned. Um, you received an Adobe Creative Residency a few years back, right? Yeah. Yo, dope. That's really dope, man. Um, and I think that's how I got familiar with you. I think I was interested in the residency. I, I was looking at the current residents. I saw your name. I was like, oh, it's a black dude. I was like, oh, shit. He's a photographer, too. Let me reach out to this dude, right? So that's how I initially was introduced to your work. Yeah, um, I remember. Been following, been following your work along the way. Um, but tell us a little bit about the uh, the residency and like how was that experience for you? Um, you know, first and foremost, man, all my interactions have been actually really nice. Like, I can't explain this. I can't tell you enough of this. Um, the best advice that I can give anyone, and you already embody this, is to be kind. Kind doesn't mean nice. You know, you don't have to, like, throw yourself on the altar of somebody who's working through just cool. Like, they're just a person. Their work is fine. They take bad things. They take good things. But to be kind, to, like, understand somebody and just say, hey, if you have time, or, hey, can I, how can I help? Or, hey, like, you just always had a good spirit about it. Um, and so I just want to say thank you because there's a lot of times I'm having conversations and I'm, like, I feel exhausted before I even get to the middle of the conversation with somebody because, like, I'm asking myself not only what do, what do they want, but also like, um, why are they asking me in this way, or are they asking too much of me? How do I, how can I push back? You know, and it's like it's kind of like a weird thing because you're trying to, as you try to make space for other people, or attempt to, or you think you're attempting to, um, it can be difficult because you don't want to have all of all of your essence and stuff before you get to go capture or create new art. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just want to say thank you, you, you know, from that, those interactions too, like you just ask good questions were like happy to like 
take feedback or listen or whatever. And I think that's, when I say that's not always the case, I mean, more often than not, it's not. Like, people will come in my DMs at any time of the year and ask me for a lot of stuff. Um, like, I remember my favorite was, because uh, <laughs> uh, I sent you that, like, list and links uh, about the stuff. When I, um, what I did, though, is I remember one person was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to read those. Can you just kind of tell me what I mean? And I was they wanted like, you to do the work for them. I was like, I'm confused here. <laughs> what? Like, I, I don't need to say that. You need, you need something. You're messing around. Oh, no, you mean, okay. Um, and so I just think that, like, often, like, uh, I mean, you watch Atlanta. Oh, yeah, caught up. I mean. Wait. You know when um, Paperboy's getting his haircut in season two? Mm-hmm. And um, his crazy barber, he meets his barber's son, and it sounds like, yo, man, put me on. Mm-hmm. And it's like this conversation where he doesn't even talk to Paperboy. He's immediately just like, you're this piece of access. Um, first and foremost, if you follow someone in their work at school, and for the folks that listen to this, um, asking them to give you access to their clients is not a good idea. Yeah. Like, maybe if they need someone to fill in or if you can assist them. But uh, especially, I was talking about, I don't know if you know Karsten, uh, Skinny was here. We were talking about this recently, like, he photographs, like, Beats and, uh, um, this is funny, I'm forgetting this. He just gave me a bottle of it. Um, Uh, Remy Martin. What's that, Jamaica? Oh, he probably did. He probably did Remy Martin. But what's that, uh, what is that whiskey? I let to get up and go look for it. Uh, Chivas. Is it Chivas? No, what? Mm-mm-mm. It's, um, I'm just going to walk into the room and look at what it is. I'm disgusted with myself. The reason I'm disgusted is because the master brewer of this alcohol, my mom found out, has the same last name, last name as her, and so she might be related to us. And I'm like, uh-huh. why? Oh, Appleton Estate. Uh, the minute I get halfway across. That's, oh, that's wrong. That's yeah. wrong. Yeah, sorry, it's wrong. My bad, my bad. Um, I sometimes I'm bad with the alcohol names. And um, he just talks about a lot of people be hitting him up, like, you'll need the beats connected. He's like, what? <laughs> or, like, sometimes he works at W Hotels and he's put people on and they've done a bad job. And that reflects poorly on them. So um, just got to get just get those out of the way. Like, be kind, be consistent. Like, you know, if you reach out to somebody, like, know what you want to ask them. And then also, if you think that you can provide value for them, also offer that. Um, you know, there's a woman I met last year and asked me some questions and after she was like hey you know i like actually do a lot of copywriting so if you like next time you're updating your site or working on a project like please let me do it for you um and i don't know if i'm gonna like take advantage of that i, I feel like maybe i shouldn't but i think it's helpful for all of us to just have a good spirit about things mm-hmm. um but you know on to the residency so i used to work at walker and company at double um and that was kind of a cool period of time that was uh there was a tweet i saw the other day that was uh, basically saying like someone believed in you in your career that you get to this point. And for me, that was the creative director of Bevel, Mari Shai. I believe this really lovely Asian American woman. Um, she, she and I met because, you know, one of my friends from high school really loved Tristan and for the folks that are unfamiliar with Bevel, Bevel is a shave system made for men with coarse and curly hair, but it really is all about like the process of shaving and understanding your skin um, and so it was really for everyone. And Walker and Company's mission was making health and beauty products simple for people of color. And so, you know, my friend reached out, told me to reach out to them. I reached out. They, like, hired me to take some photos for Instagram, take some photos for Instagram. They hired me to take some photos for the barbershop, photos for some ads. 
Um, and then, you know, after a while, they were like, hey, you want to try some other things? And, you know, between 2015 and 2017, they had me working on a ton of things, like writing copy, really, like, starting to activate the parts of my brain that I didn't think about as a journalism major, and starting to understand how communication could be used for not only marketing, but to, like, make something meaningful. Um, and so she challenged me a lot, and we had weekly one-on-one, and she would talk to me, and she said, like, what do you think about this? Did you make a mood board? Did you, could, let's do a post-mortem. And like it was constantly knowing that the shoot was sorry, it was constantly knowing that the, that what I was going to photograph for the project wasn't just this little one-off bang bang and like you're done kind of like early Instagram. Mm-hmm. There was like purpose to it, and there were deliverables, and there were like KPIs and like ways to um, figure out what was effective. And so, kind of out of kind of surprisingly, um, I was actually put on a performance plan because I was kind of slacking off. And after I got off of it, I remember it was 2017. I mean, it was 2016 in October. She like calls me into this like break room and locks the door. And I was like, yo, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, I thought, what's up? What's going on? And she was like, yo, I was so I was super shook. I was like, I thought I got off the plan. I thought it was Gucci. And she was like, yo, um, I'm quitting and they're moving the office to San Francisco. And I was like, what? <laughs> she said the reverse order. She's like, I'm moving the office to San Francisco and I'm quitting. And I was like, oh, oh wow, okay. So a, double, a double shot. It just it really threw me. And then she said, she said, oh, never forget it. She said, and I don't think you should move. She said, I think that you are just starting to scratch the surface of what you can do here. You've built your network in New York, and I don't think you should move. I think that you like this job, and it's cool and stuff, but I think that you've learned a lot here, and it's time for you to do something else. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, like, stayed until they closed the office and some freelance work and like literally like I think the two weeks after the freelance work for that ended, I was working I was photographing Fashion Week for Tumblr. Um and Tumblr Wow Yeah, I know that Tumblr Yeah, right. Shout out to Tumblr. Look, I have no bad words to say about Tumblr. Tumblr low key is amazing. They are super giving, you know, the people in charge aren't really in charge anymore, but those folks when they were there, they made space for creators to just try stuff. And so this program where you could just go to Fashion Week. Like, they didn't pay you. You could just go. Uh, they pick a slight group of people. You capture stuff and you leave. And I remember my first day at Fashion Week, I checked my phone in between um, runway shows. And I have an email from this woman at Adobe, Heidi Boltner. And I was like, she was like, you know, want to talk to you about this Adobe residency. And I was like, I texted my friend. I was like, does this seem fake to you? And he was like, he texted me back a screenshot of her LinkedIn. I'm like, no, she's like a real person. With like a real, like a real role there, and I was like, okay. So then, like, we talked on the phone, like probably like maybe a week later, a couple of days later, and she told me about the residency, and I was like, what? And so here's the part where I kind of explain it. The residency. This is in 2017. The residency has changed a bit. Um, there are full-time residents, um, folks that um, kind of have a year-long or a couple year-long projects that Adobe pays them to work on and helps pay some some or most of the project fees. And now they have this thing called the community fund where like, let's say the next time you have a big project that you want to do, man, and you don't want to um, do it in a publication, you want to do it on your own, you can write in a photographer of any experience level, a videographer, an illustrator, you can write in to the community fund and say, I want some funding to work on this project. And then if they like the project, they'll approve it. And I don't know what the max is, but I think it's at least, like, you can probably get like a grand, two, three, and that, that really helps people when they're working on projects. Um, and so for me, I this worked for the community fund. And so, you know, they reached out. I pitched this idea that 
you know, really shifted. At first, I wanted to do this idea called Echo Chamber, which is about why do people choose to live where they do? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it because of, like, our political affiliations? I was still deep in my post-Trump depression. And um, just in, the, in, in that long conclusion process of realizing that America is America and no amount of anything, kind of no amount of anything, but few things can change that. Um, so it, it, it eventually turned, transformed into a project called Stories from Here. It was like a micro story project about, you know, specific, specific places around the U.S. When I said echo chamber at first, the first place I went to was Texas. And my goal was to um, capture cities that it was really kind of like a thin, not, very, not a very thinly veiled um, presentation about immigration. Because especially in El Paso, you know, right after they had been elected, Mike Pence was down in uh, El Paso talking about how it was a beachhead for immigration. But El Paso also is one of the statistically safest um, cities in America. And so is it this violently crime-infested thing that they're talking about, or is it this super safe place? And so for me, when I was there, I did a lot of interviews and photos, videos, and audio of people um, that were Mexican-American, regardless of if they just immigrated here or they've been here for many generations. And so, you know, going back to that idea of it's tough to say goodbye to people, during that project, I feel like I had some intense conversations that meant so much to me. And I thought that I was going to reveal like kind of specific themes in each city, but I think at the end, it was this framework to kind of understand and talk about portraiture um, in a way that I wasn't, I wasn't expecting at first. I thought it'd be a little bit more maybe statistics laden or particularly heavy, but I mean, I had conversations with people that were this woman talking about how she was getting her, her breast implants taken out about like what that process was like of why she made that decision when she was 18. And now, you know what that means for her now? Like I was talking to like an older Mexican American woman who moved to America in the sixties or the forties. And she's talking about how you could just walk between the border and it was no big deal. And like what it's like to now be talked, talked about and treated in a completely different way. Um, got to talk to like a, a divinity professor and talk, we just kind of talked about how we like distort the word of God. Like there's all these really interesting things like micro stories that came out of it that had me in Providence, Chicago, um, New Haven. Um, I got to talk to these like five high school students in, uh, in North Florida. And that those were, as I got further in the project, I got to do some variations. The five high school students were so powerful because the idea of the project is like, what, how, what is your sense of place? But when you're in high school, you have a sense of place, but you have no agency. So what did it mean for them to be maybe the first people in their, in their family to go to college if they got to do that? Um, or talking to these formerly incarcerated women um, who their sense of place was taken away from them. And so it just it became this like really expansive thought that I got to do throughout the residency that they helped me pay for. Actually, they paid for almost all of it and helped me get to these places and talk to these people. So this project that you were mentioning was through the residency. You had their support. You had yes, resources yes. from them. That's, that's dope. So um, what did, and I mean, for, for, for many photographers, like the, the, the goal, right, is to get, is to pitch a story and have somebody pay for it for you to, um, to go produce it, right? And, yep, and, 100%. And it sounds like that's what you, you found that with this experience. Um, what did that residency do for you as a photographer and for your career? I think it let me shop at the grocery store with a full stomach. Hmm. To be real, I think that there's, 
so many times, especially early, man, when I would be talking to people, I'd have lunch or like maybe sneak a portfolio review in and just be like, pray to God they hire me the next two weeks. I need money. Right. And it was one of those things where because I was working on these projects with Adobe, I could reach out to people and say like, oh, I think this work you do is cool. Or I'd like, I'll be in Atlanta um, in a month for this other thing. I'd love to be able to meet you. And it was like, it gave me like more access to people, but it, I didn't feel as like desperate or I didn't need things. So as things would manifest over time, it, it became more simple. Like, so two big things that came out of that residency was that Alaska project, because there was a woman over at Edelman who worked on the Adobe account and she moved to the North Face account. And she was the one who showed my work to the North Face people. And they're, mm. they've been uh, brand partners of mine since. I've worked with them a couple of times, but without Kate doing that, that wouldn't happen. And then that project, I don't know if you saw what I did in 2018 about, or maybe 2019, 2018, about um, voting rights in Florida, that meant the world to me. And I met the woman who secured funding for that project while I was a resident. So there's a lot of people that I got to meet, and it was like, it's nice to meet you. Let's keep in touch. And I was sharing a lot of work consistently throughout. And so it was kind of easy for the folks to kind of see ways that I could, like, work going forward if that makes sense and so it both provided like a, a large amount of work enough money to do that work and like um consistently some new folks that would kind of trickle in interact with the work and i could talk to them about it it was super interesting for that reason that's dope man that, re that residency um just sounded so amazing on paper and i saw like when i discovered that you were a resident an Adobe resident, and I started seeing the type of projects that you were um, publishing, you know, like the mm -hmm. Warriors project and the barbershops and the um, the ballot project you were just mm -hmm. mentioning. I was just like, man, this, I mean, that is a great opportunity for any artist, you know, but specifically for a photographer where you go to these places and you, ha you, you walk away with living proof that you were there. Because you documented the people. That's it. That living proof. You real man. Yo, at the at the end of Block from the Ballot, that text I got that just said we did it. It brought tears to my eyes, man. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that these people couldn't vote, and they are talking to me like I did anything of any value for them. They had to stand up and be those people, and I just got to kind of swoop in at the end and tell part of that story. Exactly. Exactly. And now that whatever you did for that project. It, it doesn't disappear, you know? It doesn't disappear. The, um, the interaction you have with the people you photographed uh, doesn't go away. They may not remember it every day, but, you know, at certain points they recall that, that collaboration that they had with you, you know what I mean? So congratulations on getting that residency and, and taking full advantage of it to, to push your career forward, man. That's, that's amazing. No, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I really pushed. I did. I think I really developed some more unhealthy habits in that period of time. But I just kept saying to myself, this is not going to happen again, man. Yeah. So you got to you got to go. If you if you want to go, it's time to go. And I think that, like, I don't regret that. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, I had some speaking back to the travel. I had some tips to some homies about not showing up to birthday parties and some things. And I understand, I'm not trying to trivialize that stuff. The celebration of life and being present for people is super, super important. But I knew at that period of time, like, this was the first time I think I felt acknowledged for what I was doing and that I had like a clear runway that I was just going to keep 
pushing and going and see what's going to happen. Like, me and the Kamal stuff came out of that. One of the days I was in the Adobe office, I got an email from a woman from CNN that was like, can I call you later? I was trying to see if maybe we, we could hire you to become photographer Kamal show in Alabama in four days. And I was like, okay. And you know what I had to do? I was on a vacation. Um, I was going to go and I was going to Disney. And I had to, um, I had to leave her and go to this thing. Wow. And it wasn't great. I did not wow. feel good about it. And she didn't feel good about it. The locks, but we just the locks saying, probably would have been changed on the door when I got home, man. <laughs> but she was like, all right, look, if you think it's going to work, and we're we, we four seasons later, so it was, it was worth it. <laughs> Yo, you, you 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 rolled the dice on that one, man. Congratulations. Yo, you should you should have went to Vegas right after. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it just it was one of those times. And so for anyone listening, if you have a project idea, apply to the community fund in the very least. Or you know, if you if you need to make if you need to make some things, there's a lot of things Adobe does. I know that it's easy, and I, I get it. On some level, I know it's easy for people to beat up on Adobe and complain about Adobe, but look, I'm in this career. Without Adobe, uh, I would not, a lot of things that I'm doing would be a little different or they would be a little bit slower to come out. They've been very generous with me. And when it comes time, when I ask them for stuff, like, you know, we had an exchange not that long ago where I just said, this is how I need you to support Black Green better. And they said, okay, we didn't realize we were doing that. And you know what? Like, I respect that. So, um, you know, if you can, and if anyone is applying to something and needs help, you can reach out to me. I can, I can even forward it along to someone who maybe works more in the process. But, like, you know, it may not be this. It could be a local resident in your, in your town. It could be um, even, like, a, a local another visual, visual artist image maker. Like, just find the thing that lets you, lets you shop while you're full. Like, a lot of times people be like, hey, man, you think I should quit my job? And I'm like, yo, I don't know your life, and I don't know what your responsibilities are. I don't know if you got to pay for your mom's bills. I don't know if you got kids. I don't know, like, if you got student loan. I don't know nothing about you. So you need to make sure that you can pay for what you got to pay for. And and when you can, work on what you can. And, like, just be patient with yourself. Because the goal is to just to make the stuff. It's not to have the title. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, know, know your limits. And know what your expenses are, know what your budget is, all of those things. Yeah. Um, but just to repeat what we're talking about, we're talking about the Adobe Creative Residency. Look that yep. up. Look that up. Um, you apply once a year, and f- and it's for artists, it's for visual people. Um, it's a it's an it's an intense uh, application process. So if you're interested. At any time that you're listening to this, look it up, figure out when the application process opens, and really put your, your foot in it because it can actually change your life. Um, and you hear Andre talking about how it changed his life, right? So definitely take advantage of it, man. There's, there's money out there for creatives. Go get it. Um, yeah, you got it. You got to get it. I mean, look, there's a, um, I don't know, do you like Chris Rock stand up? Yeah. When he, in Tambourine, he says some things that really... I haven't seen I listen to Tambourine probably... You haven't seen it? I listen to it probably twice a year. I find it very calming. Because um, I'm always on Chris Rock hilarious. I was listening to Chris Rock when I shouldn't have been listening to Chris Rock. And Tambourine is like him being an adult, you know? It's it's not a lot of hooting and hollering. It's just... And hooting and hollering is great. Don't, do not get me wrong. 
Um, but it's just a really calm, reserved, like quipping Chris, which I find really interesting. And in Tambourine, he has this, um, he has a thing he says to his kids. He's like, before I leave, we leave the house every day, I look at my kids and I say, when we go outside, nobody in this world, and nobody outside of this house cares about you. Nobody thinks you're cute. Nobody thinks you're smart. Mm-hmm. Nobody gives any, nobody cares nothing about you. Mm-hmm. And even some people in this house, things are playing around. But I think it's such a fascinating way to think about it. It's just saying, like, you know, as we step forward out into the world, we do have the, the pleasure of getting the, uh, the stress with the pleasure of getting to make for ourselves. Yes. But second, um, you have to fit, like, for me, the thing that was helpful, specifically the residency and the subsequent aftermath, is like finding communities of people that are not always supportive um, in terms of money, but also in terms of like your mental health and your emotions, people that can understand what's going on with you. Um, those are just supremely invaluable for me. And so I just, I just wanted to say that like before I wrap, before we, like we, we leave that topic is like, um, it's really kind of special. Speaking of other photographers, photographers that have worked on some of these things, like you have, um, and just to be present and say like, you understand, we understand. This is hard, it's scary. You got people bugging on you. You're trying to figure out like, one of the things I'm sure you, we can talk about this, I'm sure, but um, that I'm sure you have also is, I sometimes find myself, and it's not that often, but um, Carson and I were talking about this concept of like, you never want to fight, you never want to fight somebody that um, that has nothing to lose. Oh, but there are times sure. when, you know, you, oh, no, absolutely not. Because you can't win. Even if you, you can't beat them. No. Um, but something I've been struggling with, I think, is like, there are things that are disrespectful that will happen in a day-to-day life. And maybe other people in my family or other people that I know might respond to that with aggression, but recognizing that if I responded a certain way, it might lead to the loss of a job or loss of something else. And just trying to figure out how to like properly like because we talked about like you know channeling anger before you know that's all cute until you're on a set and someone does something wrong and it really jeopardizes everything and just trying your best to make sure that you can still be a clear voiced human and at a, at a higher level still be yourself no matter what's going on around you but also recognizing that you have to have different shades of you depending on where you are and I think that's a particularly strong thing for black women and for just people of color in general as we navigate white spaces that often we have to go to to activate money mm-hmm. yeah i mean i was just having this conversation yesterday about code switching and how whack it is but also how uh you know how important it is for survival in a professional sense right like um and that's what it you know so I, I, but i think what is boiling down to is you don't have to, you know. You ha- you can't you you can't be like your your street self in the office, right? Because time and place. And I think that in every different relationship we have in these different environments, we do bring a different version of ourselves, right? But I think um, the core of who we are should be the same in all of these spaces. You know, you shouldn't cater too much to one group of people. As you as you change environments, because then you start to lose who you are, you know. But you're not gonna have the same conversations with your your partner as you do with like your homies, you know. Like 
different, it's a different kind of energy, man. One one might be more ratchet than the other, right? And it's appropriate for that for that moment, right? You can't go back to your to your wife or your spouse with that same kind of energy. You know, it just doesn't translate. Same as the office. I mean, you, you're chilling with your your homies. You can't go to the office into a meeting and use the same language and use the same like slang and terms and references and things like that because it, it just won't compute. No, one hundred percent. So, as we start to close it out, you know, um, looking at your work, and you know, you 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 got you got work with uh, with American Express. You got work with uh, North Face, sending you to Alaska, bro, like Alaska. Um, you got work with um, uh, the Golden State Warriors. You know, you work you 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 doing skill shares with Ludacris, like. Bro, how do you, you know, I know a lot of people want to figure this out. Like, how do you get some of your gigs? You don't have to give, like, all the secret the secret sauce, right? But, um, you know, what are some tips that you can share or strategies you can share with folks about how to get some of these clients? Oh, totally. All right, first and foremost, um, folks ask me about having an agent. My agent is cool. Um, I met him because... Um, I've always thought Paul Octavius' work is amazing. If you don't know Paul Octavius, you should look at his work. Paul is such a strange and talented man. And the number one thing I learned from Paul, so when I was, a, uh, I was an intern in Chicago in 2012 with the Chicago Reader, and the Reader, it's a local paper, and they did a partnership with Paul where he made all these miniature um, versions of Chicago. And I met him, and I remember we talked for about 20, 30 minutes, and he talked to me about... Um, the thing I left with it, he just said, take every opportunity to just try things and be creative and don't be afraid of what that means. And I mean, for Paul, he's like a six, four, six, five, like strong gay black man. So he's had to deal with a lot of things in his life. You know what I mean? And I, I really appreciate that he would take that time, but also impart that knowledge on me. But once again, it's about what you get to make. And Paul's agent is, we have the same one now, Jesse from Tinker Street. And so the agent stuff is great because some, it brings some bigger things. But for me, it has always been kind of a similar formula. Formula. Everywhere I go, I want to listen as much as I speak. But I also, but in that listening, I want to ask pointing questions to understand what people are doing and where they're working, because it would surprise you the number of times anybody that you meet it may not be now, because maybe you're 18 or 21 or you know, 25 and the people, you know, are all junior level people. When those people get to be senior level people, the sad part of it is we hire people that either look like us or people that we know. And so from jump, I've always tried my best to understand what made me, what, what was my value proposition? When we were at Walker and Company, our value proposition was to make health and beauty simple for people of color. So you use a marketing term. Using marketing, yeah, so, what, so what that, having that, value proposition. Yeah. having yeah. that added, having yeah, that why, added yeah, why, why do I matter? Why yeah. do you listen? Like, why are you listening to me? Why do you care about what I make? Right? And so, part of it started with me just being cool with taking a lot of photos of people and making them feel special back when not a lot of people were hiring me. And some of those people that felt special later, as my work picked up, could then justify hiring me on their things. And so, it was, I was just on the strategy, just like I need to meet as many people as I can, I need to ask them questions. And then when they talk, ask me about me, I need to make sure I tell them how much I enjoy portraits, why I enjoy portraits, what else I can capture, but then also don't lie about what I can't do. That's, that's a huge thing. 
if I, I never ever want to be in a situation where I am completely can't do something like, because then, then that person's never going to hire you again. And man, it's going to look bad, but a hundred percent marketing terms, like, um, it's from, from the very beginning, the next thing I just, I taught a black and white photography class two years ago at LaGuardia Community College and the assignment that they had every week plus other stuff was, I want you to take a photo of your block, something that happened on your block. I want you to bring it back to me. And so the next thing is just like, whatever you have access to that story, whatever those stories are, you need to go back and, and capture those again and again, because that is the thing you're most, not only most comfortable with, but the thing that you can attack from multiple angles that will allow you to showcase all of your work. So maybe you're parents of a family restaurant. So maybe it starts out, you're taking pictures of the food. Maybe, maybe then you're taking portraits of patrons. Or maybe then after that, you are capturing videos of the process of something works. It'll shock you the amount of times that if you can embrace the process of something really banal, that you can translate that to something else. Hmm. So it's making sure people understand what you're about, making sure that they hear you, that, that they can hear you and you listen to them. And then also um, that you have the work to back up what you want to do over time. Yeah. And so not lying. If someone's like, can you do something? You're like, no, nah, I haven't done that before. Sometimes they'll still respect you. And other times they'll say, all right, bet. I got you next time. Um, just kind of taking it slower has been my approach. And also like, when I needed money, assisting other photographers, especially older ones for me, a lot of times would yield little jobs where someone might be like, oh, my client needs someone to take test shoots of this thing and, you know, it's easy or can you photograph this party? And so I would just try to, like, not assume if, if a contact would be useful or not in the first two years and just really, like, make time for it, which is tough because you need to make time for your work. But, like, for me, I just knew that, a lot of my work comes out of the interactions I have with people. So I keep having conversations with people um, and they can just even leave with saying that like, Oh, I like this person. Um, they may not be able to hire me then, but they can hire me later. And so most people did come up and, you know, are worthwhile in the future. Uh, I mean, I've never been, I had never gotten a portfolio review, like a, a big one from like the times, right. I didn't go to the Eddie Adams thing, which I should totally apply for. Cause I think it'd be a really cool experience when I've understood. But, um, I did just try to make sure that like I was just around. So when I first moved to New York, I was just reaching out to people and asking if I could assist them or just meet up for coffee and just kind of understand what they do and why. And then from there I started to say like, Oh, I didn't, I don't want to do that. Or I want to do this. Or just kind of understand where I want to be and what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. It's interesting though. You say, you know, don't say you can don't, don't lie. But, um, I think with that, there's, it's like a, a thin line, right? Where sometimes you say you, you might agree to a job that may be out of your league, but you say yes and you just prepare like hell for it. You know, and you, you grind trying to learn how to do certain things so that you can be more prepared and then you figure it out as you're doing it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What I what I'm speaking to specifically though is to don't say you can photograph food photography if you've never done it before. Yeah. Don't say you know how to use strobes if you haven't done it before yeah. and you can't practice in a in a certain amount of time. Yeah. That's what you don't want to do. Yeah. But like if there is if there's something like because all this stuff is related and you can figure it out. But like if you tell a client you can do something and you get there and it's uh, an hour or two hours in you haven't delivered that stuff because often clients want to they, they're fascinated by it there's an old Kanye interview where he talks about the little photographers are sexy people love the idea of being on set they love the idea of being in a studio and so sometimes people will just come and watch you and you not only need to make them feel good but you also need to make sure you are fully ready so if you do get hired for something you know how to do 
in the middle of the week, every day of that week, you'd be practicing this thing. So you got it down. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's, that's, what, that's what I meant by that. I'm not, obviously, lie in your resume, do whatever you want. Like, whatever you want to do to get somewhere. But if it is time to deliver something, you got to make sure that you can step in there and it's not your very first time. Or you have, you make sure you have someone else on set with you that has that experience yeah. and won't try to usurp or try to usurp and make you look bad. That's super important. There's times I've had big commercial shoots. It's my first time doing something. And I always, I always hire an older photographer that I'm cool with to say, all right, look, the rate for the system is only $500, but I'm going to pay you out of my pocket because I want you there with me so we can convene and talk about how we want to work on this here and now. And we practiced over the course of a couple of days, like you were talking about, making sure you address everybody the night before, a couple of days before. That way we're all on the same page. Everything's nice and smooth. Even we're all... Everything works. See, that's a, and that's a great, great... I don't know if y'all heard that. That was a great tip, bro. Is, you know, you get the... You, you, you hire somebody you know and respect their work and you pay them a little bit extra because they're worth more. But it allows you to get your foot in the door with a client that could lead to more work. And mm -hmm. that's a great tip, bro. I really like that. Um, and when you're paying it forward... And you're showing respect to the to the elder, to the OGs, who um who did it before you, even though they 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 were willing to do it for a lower price or for free just to be supportive, right? That's usually how the OGs work. Um, so that's really dope, man. Oh, yeah. I really like that. I really like that. It's super helpful, man. Like yo, shout out to Matt Rick, shout out to um Brent Lewis. There's some very specific people that have made their shout out to Carson Tanis. Because I've been there for my first X, Y, and Z, and have been present and have been quiet eyes and helpful ears, um, and just really calm, quick, pull me inside. Hey, you know, you see this, or like, what you think about this, or yo, like, you know. And shout out to shout out to producers, people that do a lot of that that dirty work. That stuff we love to see from our NBA stars and stuff in real life. To make things happen, shout out to those people. Because sure. without them, I would not, I would not be here. I do not take yeah. that lightly. There's people that do the work behind the scenes, and they get no credit. They don't want the credit, but I appreciate you for um, giving them that love. You know. Um, so, yo, Andre, tell us what what's coming up for you. What can we expect? Um, I directed my first commercial. Yeah. It's not like a particular particularly sexy thing when it comes out everyone's gonna be like what <laughs> no but that's that's dope and i think that's dope to, to uh to evolve from a photographer to a director that's beautiful man congratulations oh i'm hyped i'm yeah, hyped you it should was be. a long day i can, i don't know if i can say what it is yet but it'll be out pretty soon i think within the next month or so um thank you so much i really care about that I right now just start to do this really cool thing with Adobe where I want to shout out Josh Haftel over on the um yeah. the project the project manager over at uh, at Adobe on Lightroom. Yeah, he's cool. He reached out to me. Yeah, Josh is cool. He's cool. He actually he's about to right now, like, yo, you done yet? I'm like, yo, chill, chill, chill. Yo, tell um, him what's up, Josh. I totally will. Josh reached out after um someone got it in, got on my feed and was like, yo, you're always promoting Adobe and Apple products and this is really exclusionary because it's really expensive. And I was like, Well, I mean, I feel you, but I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> and so, anyway, so, you know, he brought up a good point. He said, you know what? As we're working on these presets that are for premium customers, I think that we should have some things that free customers can use because, you know what? Um, I think it's important for a first-time photographer to be able to log in and 
you know, get started right away. skin person and be able to get started. And so he said, all right, man, I got, I got this money left. Why don't you and I make some presets that are just for um, black and brown skin that'll be on the free side? I thought it was such a cool thing. So I'm excited when the release comes out because my name won't be on it. And you may not be able to figure out what I worked on, what I didn't. But in theory, it should help some people yeah. going forward. And that's real legacy. You know what? Because, like, you don't live forever. It's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Which is scary. I very much fear death. I, want, I don't yeah, I think I'm like, I, I feel like I'm a G or anything. But, like, I can really appreciate the concept of getting to do something that lasts longer and without anything to do with my name. You know? So that's the cool thing. Wow, that's dope, man. That's really dope. Congrats. Those, those are two. Those are two. Those are two big things, man. You know, uh, it's two big things. So, congratulations on that, man. I hope you continue down the directorial path because there's a lot of cash in there, bro. It's a lot of cash. In also, there. I think it's just. I think it just fits really well for my personality. Honestly, I I really love the convergence of things. I love. Um, my friend sent me this book. Um, I think it's it's a book about ADHD, which I'm pretty sure I have. And the, one of the first lines of the book, um, I read it the night before I directed that commercial, and I meant to read more, but it just stuck stuck with me. So that's all I kept reading. It said a paraphrase, but essentially, um, action without understanding of relationship is only intended to breed conflict, which really struck me. It's like to say it again: action without an understanding of relationship. The only intent of action without understanding is to breed conflict. And so, like, essentially, to be an effective leader, you need to understand the relationship between the person and the thing that you need them to do. And thus, the action that you take is one that can, that doesn't breed conflict, but rather a solution, which I thought was super interesting. Not that conflict is always bad, but the idea that, like, if you're directing folks in a way to do something, you need to understand not only why they're doing something, but how they're going to feel about it. And that really stuck with me. And so that next day when I was working on the set, I just made sure not only did I know everyone's name, but I tried my best to understand what their primary motivations were. And part of the, sh- the part of the filming process involved like a beauty section. And so I went over to the stylist and I was like, hey, y'all can come in the room and look at the monitor with me. And if you see anything that looks funny, like tell me. And I remember one of them was like, ever had a director say it to you before? And I was like, well, I mean, what, am, I be- am I better than you? No, I, I let's think, just go I, get this thing done. But what's dope is that because you didn't go the traditional direct director route, right? Like maybe that's something mm-hmm. that was picked up. That was a uh, that was a culture of set life is to like directors only speak to certain people and everybody else doesn't matter. Yep. Like I mean, I'm, yep. I'm 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 guessing, right? Like that might have been a situation. Yeah, sometimes. But sometimes, for you, yeah. you know, you might have. You, you know, you 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 weren't phased by a culture that existed before you got there, right? So you just walking in mm-hmm. as as regular old Andre, right? And and if you mm-hmm. speak to people one on one in your regular life, then you're gonna do that. You're gonna carry that with you into your professional life when you're on set or when you're not on set, right? You're gonna make people feel like like genuine human beings, and that's gonna invite them into working with you and collaborating more. Well, yeah, because the more eyes you have on something, especially something that's a high level and, you know, every, I mean, no matter what you do, every client, especially when they're dropping money on it, it's important to them. And so, you know, the more eyes you can have on something that can be honest and give good feedback, the better off everybody is. Mm-hmm. What's going on? It's Andre LaRoe. You are tuned into the Black Shutter podcast with the illustrious Mr. Solomon. 
And you not also listen to my podcast, but you should listen to every other one. Not only to get tidbits from us, but from someone as generous as to spend their time interviewing us. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.